I'm Jonathan Capehart, and this is Cape Up. Congressman John Lewis of Georgia has been in Congress for more than 30 years. But before that, he was a leader in the civil rights movement. From the sit-ins in Nashville to the Freedom Rides to the marches from Selma to Montgomery, Lewis literally put his body on the line to push this nation to live up to its ideals. It's all documented in John Lewis, Good Trouble, the new documentary on Lewis's life from back in the day to present day. The parallels between then and now are haunting. I talked to Lewis about the film and about what's going on in the country today, from the demonstrations. I've been deeply moved and inspired. To the deafening silence of congressional Republicans. It's uh, it's frightening that people can be so silent, so quiet, in spite of everything that is taking place. To whom Joe Biden should pick for his running mate. Vice President Biden should consider a woman, and it should be a black woman. Sit down with a legend, the great John Lewis, right now. Congressman John Lewis, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you for having me. So we're supposed to talk about the fantastic documentary uh, about you called John Lewis, Good Trouble. But I have to start this conversation off by having you talk about the demonstrations that we have seen over the oh, over the last more than week since the the killing of of George Floyd. I tell you, I've been deeply moved and inspired by seeing the hundreds and thousands of citizens, not just citizens of America, but citizens around the world, getting involved in peaceful, nonviolent protests to dramatize the issue that we must stop allowing people to become the victim of police violence. You know, Congressman, you, you um, on on Bloody Sunday, on um, that day on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, I mean, you faced down police violence yourself. It was caught on camera. The nation watched that with their own eyes, the way they have the the murder of George Floyd with their own eyes. How much does it bother you that more than 50 years after Bloody Sunday, we are still having these same conversations, these same demonstrations whose spark is brutality? It it, it makes me very sad. It made me cry to watch what happened to this man of color. You have to come to that point and say, when is the madness going to stop? But it was so moving and so gratifying to see people from all over America and all over the world saying through the action, I can do something, I can say something. 
they said something by marching and by speaking up and, and speaking out. You know, in the in the movie, um, which follows you from campaign rallies uh, in 2018 right up through the present day, and there was one rally that you did in Texas in 2018. Um, where a particular thing you said caught my attention. And you said then, we've got to save our, our country, save our democracy. That was in 2018. Would you say that your, your, um, your clarion call then has even more urgency now? Well, I said what I said then because I felt that the political leader that we have today is a threat to our democracy and is a threat maybe even to the planet. You know, Congress, Congressman Jim Clyburn, that the House Majority Whip, is also in in the movie, and I'm asking you this because I want to bring you back to to the protests and certainly to Bloody Sunday, where Jim Clyburn, who is from Rock Hill, South Carolina, who is also involved in the in the civil rights movement back then, he's quoted in the movie. He says in the movie, "I often wondered what might have happened if I was there, because I was never as nonviolent as John is." I don't think I would have taken what he took. There are a lot of uh, a lot of young people uh, out on this out on the streets demonstrating for whom that that sentiment of not knowing how they could be nonviolent, uh, given everything that they've seen happen, is something that they could maintain. What do you say to those young people for whom the philosophy? of nonviolence that you've practiced your entire life for whom that might not be a philosophy that they feel they can abide by. I encourage from the, my early involvement in the movement for young people and all of us to accept a way of peace, the way of love, the philosophy and the discipline of nonviolence as a way of life, as a way of living, and, and never become bitter, never to hate. If we're going to create what I call the beloved community, if we're going to redeem the soul of America. You know, in the conversations that have been happening, especially around the demonstrations related to the killing of George Floyd, you've had this dichotomy where you've had peaceful protests during the day and then at night at least early on there would be just waves it seemed of of people smashing windows and and looting stores and there was an effort to my mind by the administration to conflate the peaceful demonstrators with the people who were who were looting and vandalizing and actually committing crimes what do you say to your colleagues on Capitol Hill and to the president who are trying to 
make the protesters and the looters one in the same? Well, I saw a scene about way of television, and it, it, it made me sad to see an officer knock down a 75-year-old man and just leave him laying in, in the streets. People have a right to protest in an orderly, in a peaceful, nonviolent fashion. And we said during the early 60s, during the Freedom Rise, during the march from Selma to Montgomery, that we must respect the dignity and the worth of every human being. And I still believe that. I think there were forces within this administration, within the government, attempted to paint the uh, nonviolent participants as being violent. And they didn't succeed in doing that. There were just too many people on the right side. Through their action, through their ongoing effort to dramatize the issue, they proved that they could be orderly, they could be peaceful, they could act in a nonviolent way. You know, the president tried to, or did, use the the violence and the the looting as a as a reason to call in the the national guard and the military here in washington dc and then use that as a as a cudgel against governors to say to them if you do not get that under control i am going to basically force you to accept military um military assistance to get local streets under control. Could you tell me your reaction to hearing a president of the United States expressing a desire to turn the military on American citizens? To me, it, uh, it was shameful, unreal, unbelievable for the president of the United States of America to attempt to find a way to persuade the American people, to persuade the Congress and others to accept using the military to put down people engaged in nonviolent direct action. Shameful, it's a disgrace. It's not in keeping with the best of America. The president likes to say that um, he loves African-Americans, that African-Americans should vote for him because, quote unquote, what do they have to lose? If the president of the United States, which is highly unlikely, but let's just play this exercise out. If President Trump were to call you today, given everything that's happening in the country, what would you tell him? I'm going to say, Mr. President, the American people are tired 
and they cannot and will not take it anymore. They have a right to organize the unorganized. They have a right to protest in a peaceful, orderly, non-violent fashion. And you cannot stop the people for all of the forces that you may have at your command. You cannot stop people when they say no. You must have the power and use that power to say yes. Why don't you think your Republican colleagues in the House, and especially in the Senate, are not rising up in criticizing what the president has done. I don't understand it. I don't know why they cannot say something or do something, pass a resolution on the House floor, the Senate floor. Then this is not in keeping with the idea of a democratic society. It's, um, it's frightening that people can be so silent, so quiet, in spite of everything that is taking place in Washington, around our country. Again, the name of the, the, name of the documentary um, uh, about you is called John Lewis, Good Trouble. Why did you want to do this documentary? Well, there were several people asking me about doing something, and I finally said yes. Um, when I was growing up in uh, rural Alabama during the 40s and the 50s, I would ask my mother, my uncles and aunts, my father, about segregation and racial discrimination. They all would say, that's the way it is. Don't get in the way, don't get in trouble. But I met Rosa Parks, I met Martin Luther King Jr. I was inspired to get in the movement and they inspired me to get in what I call good trouble. To get in the sit-ins, the freedom rides, to go on the marches, to walk across that bridge. And I've been just trying to help out from the time that I was very young, to make a contribution, to help end racial discrimination, in our country. Can I, can I ask you a, a democratic politics question? So we've got a presidential election going on. B- former Vice President Joe Biden is the presumptive Democratic nominee. Everyone is focused on, because he said he's going to choose a woman to be his running mate, everyone's focused on who that woman should be. I'm on record as saying that the woman should be, uh, should be a black woman, and specifically, that black woman should be Senator Kamala Harris of California. Who do you think Vice President Biden should consider? Well, I think uh, Vice President Biden should consider a woman 
and it should be a black woman, black women have played a major, major role in American politics in the past few years. We need their participation now more than ever before to get out there and push and pull and inspire people to lead the way to the polls. Um, there are several wonderful, good people out there running and several of them are good friends of mine. And I hope the vice president will select one of these women. Last question for you. In the documentary, John Lewis, Good Trouble, um, you say something that is a good philosophy for for people to, to follow. You say you only pass this way once. You got to give it all you can. For people who feel like they've been giving it all they can, and yet things don't seem to change, that things don't seem to improve, what do you say to them? What could you say to them to keep them going in the same way you've kept going all of these years? You must be able and prepared to give until you cannot give anymore. We must use our time and our space on this little planet that we call Earth to make a lasting contribution, to leave it a little better than we found it. And now that need is greater than ever before. Congressman John Lewis, civil rights icon from the great state of Georgia. Thank you very, very much for coming back to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for all your great and good work. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.